song, Be Still My Soul, hymn number 461. I don't think there is special music today. 
our tithes and offerings are for church budget this week, I believe. I hope I'm right. <laughs> anyway, please remember that as you leave the sanctuary, there is that uh, little box there at the PA booth, and that is where you can leave your tithes and offerings. At this time, I invite you to please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their hands. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. If you are able, please kneel, out, kneel now as we approach God's throne. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the Sabbath. Thank you that you want to give us rest. And in that rest, you want us to learn to lean on you and to know that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from your love. Thank you so much for fellowship and for the word of God that you are going to share through your servant, Glenn Gill, today. Thank you for blessing him and for blessing us as we listen. Please lead and guide throughout the whole hours of the Sabbath day. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to take a moment and unhook all these wires. And then I will get out of the way. Thank you so much, Bob. Sure. trap up here. Do you need want this as well? Um, sure. Yeah, you're still attached or something. Is. I think I just... Oh, they just... What about this guy? Wrapped up. This. Okay. Can you get that downstairs okay? Thank then? you so much. Okay. Thank you. move this a little bit so I don't hit it. All right.
Anyway, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome to you folks here and to those that may be watching online. Um, I'm a little hesitant to say this, but I'm, I've been asked to invite those who are online to potentially share this with their friends. Um, but I'm not sure how you can do that and like it until you've actually heard it. But <laughs> anyway, there you go. So today the sermon is entitled Joy in Troubled Times. So one of the Christian characteristics that we are called to have is joy. And uh, as you may remember, Rita has been going through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control, and so forth. And uh, she did do a sermon on joy, oh, a while ago, maybe March, I'm guessing. But I've been struggling with something that made me think that I should revisit this, or we should revisit this. Um, as Christians, the Holy Spirit, when we yield to him, should change us and give us all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not just one or two. But we should have all those fruits, or fruit. It's one fruit. That's the Christian character. But have you ever seen a joyless Christian? I've seen a few. And the Christians that sad, dejected, worried, stressed out, impatient makes me worry about where their faith is. True, we all have times of stress and sorrow and worry. But these aren't characteristics that Christ wants us to have and shouldn't be what we as Christians are noted for. You know, sad-faced. But I have a true confession to make here. Recently, I myself felt this burden of stress and um, I was seeing it in my patients. Uh, there's a, through this COVID craziness, a lot of people are getting stressed out, and we, we hear about, um, you know, the increase in drug-related deaths and, and, and depression and so forth. And certainly at, at work I see this. But we're also seeing it in the people I work with, the physicians, the nurses, myself. There's a lot of work stress and struggles and, and work insecurity. Uh, family stress, illness, and even even death. And all this is had, was, was weighing on me, and, and I was thinking to myself, I'm a joyless Christian right now. And it reminded me of that verse, and I'm going to talk about two verses today. But the first word, verse I want to talk about was one that really troubled me. And it's, it's, it's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible is James, because it's so down to earth. Uh, and James is in chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that kept haunting me, thinking, where is my joy? As humans, this makes no sense. Why should we be joyful when we're having trials and troubles? So today I want to take a few minutes and look at what real Christian joy is and why we can have it. I want to share a little bit of the struggles I went through, and hopefully, if you're going through any of these struggles, 
this may be encouraging to, to you as well. So first of all, as I know that Richard prayed, but I want to just offer another quick prayer before we continue. Father, please forgive any sin that may be blocking a connection with you today. I just ask that you would guide me as, I, as we look at your word, as we study the, the kind of joy that we should have. And I just pray that you would open my heart and mind to your Holy Spirit's leading and also to those that are here today and those that are listening. That they would be changed by hearing the wonderful words that you have shared with us in the Bible that can encourage us in times of sorrow and dejection and sadness. I just again ask that you be with us here this morning. Amen. Sorry, I need some water. <laughs> now, it's interesting that James, the very first thing he talks about, pretty well the first thing he talks about in his, in his little book to the other Christians at the time was joy and troubles. <laughs> and so what, so it must have been really important, I think. It was right at the top of his list. Um... So what is the definition of joy? If you think about the word joy, what does it mean to you? So I, I looked up the definition, and uh, here's a formal definition. The emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Now the opposite of joy, which is an antonym, would be depression, melancholy, sadness, sorrow, misery, mourning, unhappiness. But joy isn't just being happy and pasting on a nice smile, you know, when you come to church, when you see your, your friends, your family. Joy is something deeper, something stronger, something more secure. And spiritual joy entails a component of peace in knowing, that, in knowing a truth that's far greater than our present problems and trials. A truth and hope beyond our present reality. Now, recently, this is my story, recently I felt this overwhelming weight of stress and conflict and burnout in my work. It was squeezing the joy out of my life. And in fact, a few weeks ago, when I was, I usually get up before my wife, although that's not entirely true. She often does a, a Bible study with, with her um, sister-in-law by phone. And she gets up at 6. And she can never get up at 6 except when she has to do that. So she, it's good for her. She says it's good for her. I'm not just saying that. Um, but anyway, I was up this morning before her because I had to get to the OR. And, um, and she came downstairs. And she saw me sobbing. And she, she said, what is going on? And I just said, I don't know. I'm just overwhelmed with everything. And... Um, it all came to head. You know, as, as males, we're not supposed to, you know, share our emotions like that. At least that's what some people think. Um, we're supposed to be strong and courageous and, and hide our emotions. And, and rarely do I, I cry. I mean, you could beat me up and take my kidney out and whatever you want, and I won't cry about that. The pain isn't the big deal. This was an emotional pain I was feeling. But that day, it all came to head. And it actually did feel good to let it out. And I got this amazing hug from my wife that morning. 
You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that's uh, the chapter that talks about there's a time for everything, right? There's a time. There is a, to everything there is a season, and that's how it goes. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And if you go down to verse 4, it says, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. So, I thought that perhaps I should share some of this with you folks because maybe some of you have experienced this or something similar. Um, and I also realize that this is not what we as Christians are called to be like. We are supposed to be joyful in our troubles, but that's not really realistic, is it? It depends. I mean, after all, we're human. We're subject to stress and strain and worry and sometimes doubt. But as we lose our joy as Christians, we are in fact losing our faith, which means trust, our trust in God, who keeps telling us he's far greater than any of our troubles and trials. God, through his word and through his son, Jesus, tells us not to worry. He has everything under control. Therefore, be joyful, for he is in charge. And much greater things are to come. This world and this present reality in life is not the end. That is the good news for those who believe. So I want to look in James again. Go back to James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open it up. I'm going to open mine up so I can have a look at it. James chapter 1. Um, so the main verse I'm looking at is verse 2, but we're going to look through verses 2 through 4. Now remember, James is one of Jesus' earthly brothers. And we know at least two of his brothers wrote books in the New Testament. There's, the other one is Jude. Now, um, if you remember, James and his brothers and his family initially didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought their brother was, in fact, a little bit unstable, mad, maybe a little bit crazy. In fact, if you want to look at that, those verses that say that, go to Mark chapter 3, verse 21 and verses 31 to 33. In verse 21 it says, His own people said, He is out of his mind. This is referring to Jesus. And then if you go to John, chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, verse 5 says, Even his brothers did not believe in him. This is before the crucifixion and resurrection. But we do know that after, after the resurrection, um, Jude and, John, and James and perhaps others in his family um, came full circle and believed that their brother was really not their earthly brother, was, was the true son of God. And in fact, James died a martyr's death. Um, we're told in other writings by Josephus and by Eusebius um, that James actually died a martyr. So he, he did not give up his faith. And James was actually thrown, we're told, from, thrown from the roof of the temple in Jerusalem 
But he didn't die when he was landed on the ground, so they stoned him to death after that. That's, that's our understanding. That's what we're told, how he, how he was actually uh, martyred. So James chapter 1, verse 2 says, in the New King James Version, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I want to look at this a little bit further and point out a couple of things. First of all, it says, count it joy, excuse me, when you fall into trials, not if you fall into trials. So, and in fact, in the New Living test, uh, test, uh, Translation, sorry, NLT, it says, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So troubles are going to come our way. You can count on it. And I think we've all experienced that. Now, when these trials and troubles come, James says, we are to respond with joy. Why should we be joyful? This is not a normal response. You know, shouldn't we be sad and discouraged and miserable and depressed just like I was feeling? Apparently not. And the reason for that is in the next verse, verse 3. James says in verse 3, the reason you should have all joy in spite of your trials and troubles is because we know that the testing of your faith produces patience. So trials and troubles are to test our faith. And what, what does faith mean? What is another word for faith? Trust. trust. So it's to test our trust in God. And if our trust in God is firm and secure, it will then teach us patience. Okay, okay, well, what, what good is patience? That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that I have struggled with, and my wife can tell you I'm not, I'm actually getting more patient, I think, but I still haven't got there. <laughs> you know, when, because she, she has the ability to have no idea what time it is and be relaxed about it. I do not have the ability. I need to be on time. <laughs> it's been drilled into me. And so... I remember, it's not so much now, but certainly when we had kids at, living at home, we would <laughs> maybe get ready, getting ready to go to church, and uh, the kids weren't ready or something was going on, and, and I'd go out and I'd, I'd be ready to go. And I had, usually I had to do something here at church, which is my excuse for having to be on time. <laughs> and she'd be dealing with all the other stuff, and I'd be trying to be patient in the car waiting for them to come. I should have been out helping her, right? Yes. Anyway, patience. But what good is patience? Well, verse 4 tells us, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So patience teaches us and changes our character so that we may be perfect and complete, not in ourselves, but in God. It's a change of character. Now, notice that all these characteristics that, that James is talking about here, so that's joy and faith and patience, these are all fruit of the Spirit. 
So to recap, the trials and troubles we encounter in our lives, when we trust in God to bring us through them, brings us closer to God and increases our faith and trust in Him. By building our relationship and friendship with God, we are, char- we are changed sorry, and grow and become perfect. Because trust in God, in Jesus, makes us perfect. So we should be joyful in trials because they increase our faith and strengthen our trust in God and make us complete in Him. That's what these three verses are saying. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord... Another word for wait is trust. For those who trust on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Trusting in Jesus gives us amazing joy. Isaiah's imagery is trying to put in words a glimpse of that joy and trust that we can have as Christians when we truly trust completely in God. God is far greater than COVID. COVID is just a wee little virus. God is greater than your job insecurity, your physical ailments, your struggles. But he does care about all those things that trouble you and ask you to share them with, you, with him. He wants you to trust and give him even the little things that you struggle with. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is an amazing promise. The I am says fear not because the I am is with you. And Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Another couple of verses that you know well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So at times like these, when we're struggling for that security and that joy, uh, when we're struggling with things in our lives, more than ever, we must put our trust in our God. If we truly trust in God, it does not matter what our present reality is or what our trials are, because God has everything under control. In Jesus, we have a truth and security far greater than any investment in this world can give us. Our focus must be on God rather than our, on ourselves and on our problems. We can have trust in our Creator because He is love incarnate. incarnate. He is merciful and He is all-forgiving. One pastor put it this way, and I quote, The secret... Of, a Christ, of Christian joy is to believe what God says in his word and act upon it. Faith that isn't based on the word is not faith at all. It is presumption or superstition. Joy that isn't the result of faith is not joy at all. It is only a good feeling that will soon disappear. Faith based on the word, that is the Bible and Jesus, the word incarnate, will produce joy that will weather any storm. How many of you heard have you have heard of the song called Joy is Like the Rain? Is anybody? A couple people? Maybe you're not old enough because it's, 
The song was written by uh, a group of um, medical mission sisters, they're called, in 1966. And the, the song, I forgot my guitar, otherwise you'd have to listen to me sing this, so I'm sorry. Actually, you're probably glad I didn't bring my guitar. But these, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 1 and verse 3 in this song. It's talking about joy is like the rain. I saw raindrops on my window. Joy is like the rain. Laughter runs across my face. Pain, sorry. <laughs> Laughter runs across my pain. Pain is spelled P-A-N-E, but it could also mean P-A-I-N. Laughter runs across my pain, slips away and comes again. Joy is like the rain. And then verse 3, this is, this is a powerful verse. I saw Christ in wind and thunder. Joy is tried by storm. Christ asleep within my boat, whipped by wind, yet still afloat. Joy is tried by storm. I'm also reminded of another song which many of you may have learned as children in Sabbath school. And it's called, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. So that's the first verse. Some of the other verses are, He heals the brokenhearted and I cry no more. He gives me living water and I thirst no more. He fills my soul with laughter. If you want joy, you must ask for it, and so forth. This, this is a quote from Scripture. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you have any idea where in Scripture it is? Do you have any volunteers dare to... Oh, yeah. Well, it actually wasn't where I thought it would be. Okay, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 10, that's where it is. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord, to our Lord, I should say. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. So what's the background behind these words that, that uh, is quoted in, in, in Nehemiah 8.10? So remember, the captives from Babylon were released and allowed to return to Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls. And the people are, are all gathered in, in, a, in a huge area to hear the book of the law of Moses read. That's the first five books of the Bible. That was the Bible of that day. And the book of the Law of Moses was read and explained to them as had been instructed by Moses. Moses instructed in Deuteronomy 31 that they should do that every seven years. Everyone should hear the whole book of the Law read every seven years. Now, I'm guessing that it hadn't been done for a generation or two. When they were captives in Babylon, they never heard this. This was the first time that people had heard it. Remember, they were to invite... The, everyone was supposed to be there, including the visitors, the non-Israelites, the non any strangers in their midst, as well as the children, 
were to be there and to hear this word. Now, what happened? They heard God's word read and they were convicted of their sin and disobedience and rejection of God. And they understood why they, the chosen people, had been exiled in Babylon. And it's interesting, these were the people who returned to Jerusalem. These were the faithful that were convicted. There was many more Israelites and Jewish people that stayed behind in Babylon because they had a good life there. It was a big deal to uproot your home and your security and go to, to, um, to back to Jerusalem where they weren't entirely appreciated coming, coming in. Anyway, these were the faithful who realized upon hearing God's word how far they were from being righteous, holy, and perfect. And this really should be my conviction and your conviction when we get a glimpse of God's holiness, perfection, love, and realize that all our goodness is just filthy rags in comparison. Well, it's interesting. These people were sorrowful. They were crying. They were upset when they heard this. And yet Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites' response to the people was to encourage them with the words, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were told to celebrate. So what is our strength? Is it our joy and our strength? Is to be our joy? No, it can never be. It's the Lord's joy that is to strengthen us. That takes out a lot of pressure. So our joy as a Christian is in trusting in God. It is Christ's joy, the Lord's joy, imparted and given to us. It is seeing what is on the other side of death for those who trust in Jesus, which is real life, eternal life. And we can have a glimpse of this life right here and now if we follow Jesus. I want to share a few words with you that Jesus actually said. Um, quotes from John 15:11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And then in John 16, verse 20, um, Jesus says to them again, He says, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. He's referring to the cross that when they saw him on the cross but the world and the world will, will rejoice the world wanted to kill Jesus or they thought they could kill Jesus I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned to joy and Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 is an interesting couple of verses because it talks about Christ enduring the joy of the cross, enduring, sorry, enduring the cross because of joy, which doesn't make sense. But he was enduring the cross because of the joy on the other side of the cross. The result of the cross was that you and I have the opportunity to be friends, to be brothers and sisters of Jesus forever. That's the joy that Jesus was looking to, to as he endured the cross. I'll read those verses in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in closing, let us encourage each other when we are down, when we struggle, when we have trials, when we doubt. Let us encourage each other to put our trust in Jesus, who created us, who knows us better than we ourselves, who not only sees our troubles, but experiences them by becoming one of us, by dying for and redeeming us back to him. By trusting in Jesus, we can have his joy. And Jesus said in John 16, 22, nothing can take that joy away from us. James died for that joy. There's been so many people who have died for that. And in John 16, 24, Jesus says, Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Have you asked Jesus for joy? We're going to close with hymn number 530. Thank you. Please stand as we sing this morning, hymn number 530, It Is Well With My Soul.
Dear Father, we ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit be transformed to have your character. We ask that you grant each of us the full fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In particular, today we ask for your joy. We want your full joy so that we may be complete and perfect in you alone, so that no matter what circumstances come our way, we can fully trust in you, so that we may share the good news of Jesus to others joyfully. In Jesus Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Amen.